Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Jason Maletsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. If you would like to find us on the internet, you can go to trustthejourney.today, and that will get you directly to our website. It'll get you to our Instagram, Spotify. We're on Apple, iTunes, and we're on YouTube. If you would like to support the show, you can go to our website, scroll down to the button that says Donate Now, Donate on Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter. If you do that, what will it will also gain you access to our uh, private group, the Trusted Journey family, which we all curate together, which is a safe space for us all to share our own experiences in this life together. And that's just a wonderful group of people, which we so enjoy each other's company and that safe space we all create together. I'd like to thank our editor, Kimberly Joy Voice, for taking over the editing and for posting the show for us. If you are in need of podcast editing services, please reach out to her at KimberlyJoyVoice at Gmail, and she will be glad to help you out. So thank you so much for being here today. Today, we're going to be doing another one of our new series, which I'm hosting, which is called Walking Each Other Home. The show is based in the idea that none of us really know what's going on. We are doing our best to figure this out, and we need each other's help on this journey. It's a quote from Ram Das: walking each other home. We are all just walking each other home. And it's a beautiful sentiment, and it really, the show is designed to dig into friendships and personal relationships that can help us to relate to each other and be more patient with each other and be more loving to each other and be more considerate, compassionate. So I'm going to go ahead and take us into the show. Welcome to Walking Each Other Home. So uh, welcome to Walking Each Other Home. This is our second episode. So today I would like to welcome our second guest on the show, somebody I've been very excited to interview for quite some time now, Miss Kylie Hardigan. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for thank, having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for making the extra effort mm. to come meet me here mm-hmm. and put, take the time out of your day to Heck join yeah. for this. Um, I've been looking forward to this for almost a year mm-hmm. now. We had a conversation a while back that has led to this, so super excited. So let me introduce Kylie a little mm-hmm. bit more. Kylie is 25-year-old female, and she's a skydiver, a rock climber, a paraglider pilot, a highliner, an all-around adventure-seeking, adrenaline-junkie kind of person, <laughs> uh, somebody I identify with a lot. She also works in search and rescue. She has a history in microbiology. She's currently working on some software development for some skydiving programming. Mm-hmm. I'm interesting to hear more about. And she's a life and relationship coach, which is very cool. So thank you for being here, Kylie. Thank you. Yeah. Wow, that was like really delightful to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and start off with having you kind of just give a little bit of backstory about how we became friends. How did mm-hmm. we meet and how did we get mm-hmm. to this point? Yeah, I remember it distinctly. I was um, in the last few ju- solo jumps of my skydiving AFF last fall and um, I was doing a solo jump and onto the plane comes this guy with like really great, like, uh, 
it was a hot pink wingsuit with a hot pink helmet and you just got on and <laughs> I heard I overheard you talking about paragliding and I was like hey I'm a paraglider I'm going paragliding later this afternoon uh you want to come and so yeah you you're and you actually said something that day that I still remember really distinctly you you were doing a hop and pop and I was like why are you doing a hop and pop in your wingsuit and you were like, well, everything's new. And so all of this equipment, it's new, basically. And so you only, I only do one new thing at a time. So I'm going to do the canopy part of all the new equipment, just do a hop and pop. And then I'll do the free fly part in my next jump. And I've remembered that lesson thoroughly. Awesome. Yeah. So that day, we actually wrapped up jumping at the drop zone, jumped in our cars and headed over to Ken's Lake mm -hmm. and went for a paraglider flight. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like one of my favorite Ken's Lake flights ever. It was about 20 or 30 minute bridge soaring. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. That's right. It was nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So we became friends through skydiving, got into paragliding, and not too long after that, you were actually one of the key people on my accident rescue team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was out, we were out at Otto's Ridge in Colorado mm -hmm. and flying on a beautiful morning. Mm -hmm. And as many of my listeners know, I was involved in an accident last December of mm -hmm. 2020. Mm -hmm. And I stalled my glider and spun and crashed in and broke my back. And Kylie was pretty much operating as the lead person on the rescue uh, until the um, professional, you know, <laughs> until the quote, quote, air quotes, until the uh -huh. professional showed up. And even then she stayed very integrated mm -hmm. in the whole flow of the operation and the rescue. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, I learned a lot with that, that experience. Yeah, both mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. what, do you t what do you remember about that? What was... Uh, um, um, I remember I, I was still flying when you crashed. Um, and I remember as I, uh, started to land really like intentionally. And as I had this moment of like, Kylie, don't fuck yourself up while you're landing. Cause it was kind of like spicy, like sideways crosswind, weird landing in with some, like a line of cars that I was trying to avoid. Um, but, um, I, um, it, that experience reinforced a lot of, um, lessons that I've learned from my education as an EMT and a wilderness EMT and um, ski patrol, like I um, reinforce how like back injuries can present themselves very mysteriously um, and and stealthily. Um, and I, one of the key lessons that I learned was that even though you had a really big impact injury and like our adrenaline was like really pumped it wasn't actually like a time pr like pressure emergency and the the learn the lesson of like slow down and make the right decision we don't have to move very fast right now um because we had our, our friends like mm, building a really impress impressive like um uh, hauling system with a car and hang over a slack line, like uh, to, to like pull you up. We were going to put you in your paragliding harness to like pull you back up the ridge. <clears throat> and, um, the, the lesson of like, Hey guys, search and rescue's on their way. They're going to be really slow, but it's going to be better. And we don't really have to like, we don't have to rush actually, even though this feels very emergent and Jane was hurt and, mm. 
No, I, was, I wasn't in any hurry. Mm-hmm. I was. I mm-hmm. felt pretty content mm-hmm. to like, let's take our time and do this step by step. Because yeah. I was pretty sure I knew exactly what was wrong with, with mm-hmm. Brack being broken. And-, mm-hmm. and and there was a, like, at first of my first assessment of you, like you're, you didn't actually have, like, I was po- pointing your like, you know, spinous process bumps and like, you didn't actually have like, like pinpoint point tenderness, which is what you are like, I'm re- really looking for. But, and so you passed actually like my initial assessment of a fall from a height before like asking you to move or allowing you to move your body. Um, and it, one of the lessons that I distinctly was like really thoroughly taught to us in um, wilderness, my wilderness EMT course was like, you have to, with back injuries and falling from a height, you have to like redo the assessment about 10 minutes later. And it was that moment where you're like, hey, I feel some numbness in my like right hip, like the front of my right hip. Like I can't, it's hard for me to move my leg. And like, that was, you know, like, boom, like that was like the flag where, um, the flag, the red flag that got raised where I'm like, okay, we're not going to move him. Mm. We're not going to like move him in the context of without a like litter, stuff like that. A backboard. Backboard. Yeah. So yeah, it was reinforcing a lot of lessons that I learned in school, and then I got to learn them in real life. Cool. See you. I was, I'm incredibly grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed watching you operate mm-hmm. um, in that scene and seeing kind of you moving through the different modalities of mm-hmm. uh, first feeling the pressure to do something right away, and mm-hmm. then kind of slowing down and mm-hmm. getting more posture mm-hmm. and being more poised, and mm-hmm. then like, all right, like there are people that are coming to take care of this and we do have things stabilized right and like that's the key thing is like is everything stable if it's stable then yes then we can wait mm-hmm. until there's better equipment and more personnel mm-hmm. and a more balanced team mm-hmm. making an assessment of how to make the next steps or mm-hmm. what steps are necessary uh, but i felt like i was in great hands the whole time and and it really bonded our relationship and our friendship a lot more to really dig into that. Like you're, you're half my age and I have to be like, okay, I'm entrusting you to mm-hmm. take care of me now mm-hmm. uh, in the situation where I'm in need mm-hmm. and there's not much I can really do for myself mm-hmm. except share what my needs are mm-hmm. and rely on others mm-hmm. to help fill them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank you. That was a highlight, mem- highlighted memory for sure. So it's interesting because this um, interview, the question of whether we would do an interview and how to be part of the podcast happened well before that accident ever mm-hmm. took place. And we had had a conversation that inspired my interest to want to do this. And the whole context or pretext of walking each other home has continued to engage through the, you know, this experience of me having an accident and you taking you know, the lead position in helping in my rescue really reinforces that whole concept of walking each other home. I like being there for one another when we're in our times of need. And, you know, like I need somebody to hold my hand right now. I need mm-hmm. somebody to, you know, simple enough, like take care of my needs that I can't take care of for myself or help me to take care of the needs that I am trying to take care of for myself. And so it's a beautiful uh, journey that's occurred and continues to. Mm-hmm. So I'm really grateful. Thanks for that. Well, well articulated. Yeah. I look forward to flying together again. Mm. It's been a while since mm-hmm. we've flown and um, mm-hmm. I know you've done a bunch of flying since then. And so have I, so yeah, I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you healed so well? Thanks. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so give me a little bit about uh, yourself. Like, where are you coming from? Where are you at in life right now? Who Who's Kylie Hardigan? Oh, okay. Um, so I currently live in Evergreen, Colorado. Um, who's Kylie Hardigan? Wow, what a delightfully vague question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm a, a super... I have very many like layers to who I am and what I do and what interests me and what stimulates me. Um, I'm in a beautiful, wonderful partnership with um, my fiance, Kimberly Bridges. Um, and we're in the process of building a really wonderful life together. Um, I currently am beginning a, um, a life coaching slash relationship coaching business with my mother, who's also a life coach. She's been doing this for many, many years. Um, I work as a research assistant for um, John Mathis's lab in um, Northeastern University in Boston, where we're building a markerless motion capture system, and I'm helping them develop a layer for center of mass analysis. I'm super stoked on that because I've um, convinced my vo- my boss to let me use it to study canopy sports, which is going to enable me to live out in Moab for most of the fall. And I'm super stoked for that. Um, and I've, I've also been studying for the last almost a year now for the MCAT test, which is the medical school admissions test. And gosh, that's just been such a uh, colossal <sighs> mildly masochistic pain in the ass, but very, very good uh, process too. It feels like I've, I'm taking like a final exam for my entire undergraduate degree and some, but I like actually have to really freaking learn this shit now <laughs> as opposed to what I did in college, which was like week to week past like what I need to. But so um, I'm enjoying that process. I'm enjoying um, uh all the reinforcing lessons that have been showing me, you know, my big picture purpose of, of becoming a healer, um, person to person, like eye contact kind of, um, interaction with people. Um, it aligns well with the kind of life and relationship coach that I'm becoming, um, my experience in emergency medicine. Um, yeah. That's, Wonderful. That's kind of like where I'm at. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, that's a you have many things going on. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. a quite quite busy person mm-hmm. with that number of things going mm-hmm. on. And I'm quite impressed. I do relate and I identify with the many irons and many fires kind of approach to life and just so goal driven mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um I wanted to touch on your relationship a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about uh, sexual identity, gender identity, yeah. and where that sits for you, and and then kind of go into relationships a little bit more from there. Perfect. Specifically, I want to hear about uh, your relationship that you shared with me in the past with Kent and yeah. Kim and, and some of that story. Oh, great. That's my, one of my favorites. Um, uh, so Kim Kim is obviously a woman, or not, I guess not obviously, but Kim is a woman, Um and <laughs> I thought for a long time that I was the straightest person I knew. Um, and then I met this just stunningly beautiful woman um, towards the end of, of college. And I was just like, whoa, you're pretty. <laughs> 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 it was 
we really went on this road trip together and she would nap on the road trip and I'd just like I'd be driving and look over and like steal steal glances at this napping goddess and I'm like okay she's like super duper pretty and I really like being around her and near her and took a a few months of of figuring that out um that I was interested in women specifically her and um we started dating or we started um being together um very explosively so in about uh, uh October of 2016 yeah, we were at, we were at this Halloween party. It's almost five years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we were at this Halloween party. Um, she, I, I, I allowed her or invited her to stay at my place because she was ending a relationship and lived nearby and didn't want her to have to uh, live with her currently breaking up ex. And um, so she, I just let her stay in my room, and it turned out that was a fabulous idea because we were at this party together, um, and I was talking to someone. Um, just casually, uh, and she was sitting like on the arm of a chair next to me, and she's like, "No, I unprompted. I have no idea why." She just leaned over and bit me, like bit my neck, <laughs> <laughs> and then just like looked at me, just like I don't know, like she had just like nothing of significance had occurred, and I was like, "What the." And so that was like the the impetus of a very explosive connection between the two of us. And um, when we were getting to know each other, um, we were both kind of ending pretty powerful relationships. We were both ending really powerful relationships um, and getting to know each other. So we we all we had this openness from the very beginning of like, hey, like if you meet someone that you're really interested in like you feel free to pursue them and um and we did kind of in the beginning but we were like just so obsessed with each other that it was um it really uh wasn't much there wasn't much attention left over to give to anyone else um but slowly over time um we that that conversation that openness never really closed we never like we we started dating officially but like never had the conversation hey we're um monogamous now like um so that um flavor of openness has permeated through the beginning of our relationship um into um a really just beautiful polyamorous practice that we have together now is one of the things I'm most proud of having created with someone. And uh, so uh, you you asked us about like sexuality. So Kim and I are both bisexual women. And so that layer, that, that, that layer of ourselves is definitely um, a motivating factor of, Hey, like we're both very attracted to men and no, no matter how hard we try, we really can't like provide that specific experience. Yeah, so we we started out kind of um, we had some beautiful people in our lives where we felt really um, deeply connected to and trusted immensely, um, and we um, started to invite people to have like three person um, like sexual encounters with. 
that started out with our dear friend, uh, who was a woman, and that was delightful and very much a like a positive uh, like feedback cycle mm-hmm. of like, well. We tried it and that went really well, (laughs) 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 which was helpful to like considering doing it again. And uh, into our life now comes this character. Kim was staying in a, was living in a a condo in Boulder, North Boulder, and they needed a roommate suddenly. And and we um, like cruised, perused Craigslist. And found this, <laughs> which is where you go hunting for roommates. Which is where you go. I'm, I'm, um, my life is deep, deeply influenced by random apps and and like, <laughs> um, uh, and we we find this guy. Um, his name is Kent, and he has all these photos of himself, like shirtless in his cowboy hat and his firefighter uniform, like. Uh, we were like, oh God, this guy, this guy seems like a lot. Um, but he had this dog in his photos. <laughs> and so it, many pictures of your dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, she was an all black German shepherd, just like really handsome dog. And um, she's sitting next to us at the moment. And um, we were like, this guy seems like a lot, but his dog seems really interesting too. So we met him and he brought his dog when we met went to meet him at like a bench in front of a cafe. Um, and that was how we invited him to be our roommate. And the first three, the first three Sim Kim and I had with our friend, uh, he actually like gifted us his um, basement, like room space. Cause it, he had a like big king bed and um, he was out of town that weekend. And so he's like, Hey girls, like have my space, like make yourself at home. Um, and so that was very gracious of him. Um, and I'm sure it kind of tickled his ego a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, so Kent was just this super charming man from Alabama, Southern accent. Um, very, He was a, a, fi- a career fireman, um, had a stint as a bull rider. It was like when people from... Firemen. Mm-hmm. Cowboy, cowboy, got a beautiful dog, mm-hmm. good looking, mm-hmm. uh, checking all the boxes, all the boxes, yeah. And he was so charming, mm. and he had this, uh, he had this like edge to his charm too, where he would say thing like uh, say things like, his name was Kent Black, Kent Noble Black specifically. What? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, and he would say things like, "I'm Mr. Black." Mr. Gray ain't got nothing on me. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my God, this is a lot. (laughs) Um, And so we had this, we we all went to this party thrown by our friend, Melissa, um, at her warehouse art place. And she called it, gosh, like cosmic ponyverse party. It was like just very psychedelic and delightful and playful place where our like boulder slacklining highlighting community came together and that night we are on this like ride together um we came back to his place um and uh he just was like so open and beautifully holding like a, a, such a wonderful space we got down into the basement and he had candles everywhere and like a bowl of grapes and like a platter of um cheese and 
delicious like prosciutto and like we just like snacked and ate together and and that night like we just felt so comfortable with him he was like holding Kim and Kim was um uh, she like wanted to be naked and he just she just sat in front of him and leaned up against his chest and he just like so tenderly and lovingly and um, without like like imposing desire expectations just like held her and he like put all his malas <laughs> he had so many malas the the beads um beaded necklaces he put them all on her um and so she she was just like rubbing these beautiful mm. stone necklaces all over her chest and yeah he again like he's he like wanted to gift us his space and he would, was offering to like for us to sleep in his bed and um, have the place to ourselves. And then he would stay upstairs in our room, which was just a little bit smaller of a space. And, uh, and we just, we decided we're like, let's, like, let's, can you join us? Like, can you like sleep, stay with us? Can we all sleep together? Um, and we didn't end up like sexually connecting that night specifically, but that was like the entrance into the intimacy that we all shared together. He would he in in front of his closet. He would put his um, cowboy boots, like together, but with the toes kind of splayed outwards, and would put like a candle between the between. <laughs> he was he had such attention to detail. And he just loved being charming. He was so charming. Oh, so a very non typical relationship structure. You've mm-hmm. got a lesbian relationship, mm-hmm. two bisexual women mm-hmm. now polyamory opening up the door to Mm -hmm. having a three-way relationship Mm -hmm. and how did things progress from there what was the kind of the course of duration of this Mm, how did things progress we just started playing together um we we invited him um sexually to be a part of our relationship and again very like positive feedback cycle i'm like wow this is incredible um you know the at, like the first time was with a woman, which is a different energy uh, than with a with a man. You know, we we were having this, um, having the, we were we were pretty nervous and we didn't really know we were like what's it going to be like to be to witness our partner um, having sex with a man. Um, what's that going to feel like? We had no idea. Yeah, no clue. Um, Fear. Yeah, we were worried. I was worried. Yeah. I was like, Kim, what if I don't like it? Like, what if I don't? What if I want it to stop? Like, or what if one of you? What if one of you likes it more than mm-hmm. the other one? Mm-hmm. Right? Or mm-hmm. feel like we become more attached to one person within mm-hmm. the, the the love triangle? Mm-hmm. Typical scenario, kind of stuff, right? Yeah. yeah, and there's like there's a lot of various combinations of energy and people when you're in a multi-person like sexual encounter, and um, at first there was a lot of like you know, connection of Kim and I being like physically connected, like holding hands or like some, some kind of thing like that, where we were like very present with each other in the context of whatever was happening with him. Um, and, but slowly over time we were like, Hey, like, I'd actually love to like have a little bit of space when I'm with him, um, um, to have like a more of a authentic 
one-on-one connection with the other person present and witness as a witness. And that's scary, right? When you're like asking, asking for more space, direct intimacy with, you know, more space, more intimacy. Uh So you have to put some trust into that Mm -hmm. and some Mm -hmm. faith and some hope, right? Yeah. And and also be able to hold your own space by yourself in such an environment is like, um, a skill. Yeah. That's takes some practice where, you know, you're not overwhelmed with thoughts of like, why doesn't she want me closer? Why doesn't she want me? Why doesn't he want me right now? Like, you know, protecting yourself from those kinds of like fear thoughts. Yeah. Um, takes practice. Yeah. Um, and we could just, we could tell there was so much depth of what was possible um, together. And um, he was just over the moon. He's so stoked. <laughs> he was, he was checking all the boxes. Yeah, he was like, "Wow, this is incredible! This is like, let's stoke this fire, really." And we had a very similar um, uh, perspective. And um, how did it progress? Um, yeah, it progressed to a lot of momentum going on trips together, going backpacking, multi-day backpacking trips together. Um, Lots of concerts, lots of concerts together. Mm. Red Rocks was just down the street. He was a a blooming rave babe of a man (laughs) (laughs) discovering music. I mean, he came from just the tiniest little place in Opelika, Alabama. Alabama. Right? So he, he was very much discovering himself too and and him falling in love with two women who were in a relationship together was just dissolving so many layers of what he was taught as a person growing up in the South. So, he, yeah, he was very quickly developing uh, mentally and emotionally. Um, and there came a, there came a point where... Um, he, we, there was a, a dear friend of ours who was coming to town who we had been emotionally connected to, but not sexually connected to in the past. Um, and, but there was an expression of a desire between the three of us and this guy from Northern California. And he came to town and we told Ken, we were like, hey, somebody's coming to town. Um, we've had a connection in the past and we just want you to be aware of mm, there's like an openness of desire towards sexually connecting with him. Um, And he was not happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) As one might expect. Yeah. um, You've been practicing a relationship structure for some time mm -hmm. that's based on the concept of openness and Mm -hmm. exploring different potentialities in that realm and now have a relationship with somebody who's only just dipped their toe in the water of a non-typical relationship structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And he, it was, um, the response to that was just like so, so juxtaposed in my mind because uh, he can't wanted to be the man in our life. Like, he wanted to be our man. And he, he, he had so much energy, love, charm creativity to 
be a, the man for both of us. Um, you know, he was up for the task. <laughs> and, but he had the very part of our relationship that he had the privilege of benefiting from was also um, a big source of insecurity. Yeah. So at the same time, he was like, yes, you guys can be open together with me, but you can't be open together with other people. Or he didn't like say you can't, right? He he said, if if that's what you guys need, I can't be in your life. Yeah. And that was a very hard boundary that he had, um, which really rubbed us the wrong way. It was, it felt, um, it felt... We were, we were like, okay, man, like this might not be sustainable. Like this is who we are. Um, and this is something very intentionally we're building into our relationship is the space to meet and share love with beautiful beings who come into our life um, without limits on our love. Um, or without... I wouldn't say without limits. I would say without the the specific limitation of we can only love certain people. Yeah. Um, it's a true polyamorous approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, but we were, this was, he was like really the first person that we were like in a legitimate relationship with. Our, our, our delightful female friend that we had with us, you know, that was a kind of like a singular encounter. It didn't turn into a relationship. She uh, lived in California, but God, Kent was our roommate yeah. this entire time, uh, which was added a fun layer of us hiding this from our roommates until we couldn't. And then our roommates were really amazing. They, they were like, okay, great. I'm sure that would be a, a, one of those situations where when you're the roommate, you're just enjoying the comedy of like, they think they're hiding it from us. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, and it, we know what's going on here. Mm -hmm. It was a, 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 a repeating of a funny theme because Kim was my roommate. Oh. And then we became, we turned into a relationship together and we were hiding that from our roommates. And then until we couldn't. <laughs> um. So how long did this um, relationship go on for? How long was the, the roommate situation? Um, we were roommates for about a year and a half. Yeah. Um, and then, um, but yeah, we, so we, we actually decided in that moment to like, okay, even though he's asking this <coughs> a little unreasonable, like it felt juxtaposed and didn't feel very sustainable, but we were like, okay, well, let's lean in here. We will agree for a period of time for you you to be the man in our life. Um, mm -hmm. How'd that feel? Um, it, it felt, I wasn't ready to give up what we were having and building, but I knew the decision, like I told it, I told him that, so I'm like, for a period of time, I'm willing to entertain this, but this isn't sustainable because it goes against the grain of what our, Kim and I's overall vision is. Understood. And um, the, the specific dynamic of Kim and I's polyamorous practice is um, that she and I are primary and um, our third person is secondary. 
which is a version, a flavor of polyamory. There's yep. many other ways. Um, but what that kind of Im- implies is, is like, we're the captain of our boat of what we're building together, um, inviting other people to par- partake, but they don't become the captain kind of thing. Yep. It's clear. It's good to have those clear boundaries. Like mm-hmm. that's the established relationship and mm-hmm. not looking for a change in structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, you welcome in with that. There's a double-edged sword to that um, because the person who we love together and who loves us is, has this like secondary status, it's, which is. Oh, um, it's so hard to have status. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. You're more important or less important. Yeah. Oh. And, and um, oh, there's nothing worse than being less important. Yeah. Right. So uh. there's this. Uh, yeah, that was that was definitely an uncomfortable thing for Kent to feel, and it was also uncomfortable for me to know that he f- felt that way because he had so much to give us that he wanted to give us so many things we wanted to do together and at times Kim and I would have to separate ourselves to be together and to fill our cup and fill our love for each other and then to the point where once we were full and had more overflowing that's what we were able to give to him um that's what that's not what we were able to give to him that's what we chose to give to him we didn't want like, hey, one of us is feeling down and like depressed and like uh, not really wanting to like connect. And so then you can go connect with Kent. Like that's not the way we wanted this to work. We didn't want to crutch on him, crutch our, our relationship and our relationship needed work. We didn't want to crutch on him. I, I got to compliment you. I mean, yeah. that's a very mature decision making mm. for a very young age. <laughs> <laughs> As far as, as uh, relationship decision making goes, mm-hmm. that's it's excellent. You know, well thank done. you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I was uh, twenty one when all this started. It's really cute. <laughs> yeah. My God, I was a mess when I was twenty one. <laughs> yeah, this is my version of mess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing all right. Um. So tell me mm-hmm. more about the future of this relationship. Where does things? How did things end up? Mm-hmm. Where does it stand? Um, so right around this time when he was, we had that conversation about our friend coming to town and we agreed to that temporary agreement, um, things started to get a little off. Um, he was like a little all over the place emotionally. Um, uh, weird, weird behavior, threatening to leave town for like, won't tell us why, um, some outbursts, um, motivated by his work. He's an EMT at the ER in Boulder. Um, so he was under a lot of stress pretty constantly. Um, and we we were under the impression that this was all coming from like that conversation we had with him yeah. of like, hey, we are interested in this person. And so we were under the impression that like that shook his um, trust in us. Um, and for a period of a few months, things started to just feel a little bit more frictioned and we were coming to the conclusion that, um, we needed to call things off because we thought that we were 
just causing him too much pain. Uh, you know, on top of like what I just said, the secondariness, like there were, you know, a lot that he wanted to give us that we weren't always ready to receive. And so there was like a, a block to his expression. Mm. Even yeah. though he had two women to love, he couldn't, he probably could have loved a one single woman like more I don't know, fully is that the word you more think? fully of himself like yeah. he could have yeah, given yeah, more of yeah. himself yeah which is ironic to say because he gave us so much yeah um so you've got the impression that the relationship is the cause of the mm-hmm, distress the, the behavior yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so kim and i were at uh burning man um and do 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 um we were in the process of moving out that month um and so we, were, we knew we were leaving the apartment. Um, and so we were going to, um, we were, we were going to meet up with him and, and, and the relationship break up. And, and we knew he had told us, he's like, guys, if you're not in my life, like I can't live in Boulder. I can't, like I'll have to move. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. If that's how you feel, <laughs> like I can't really, I can't really control that. Um, um, and so we meet with him and, Right before we all three met, he and I were like watching a movie in his in the basement. He was like really stressed, and he's like, "Hi, I've, we've got to meet. We've got to all talk together, like soon. I have like something that I need to tell you guys about." And he had this look in his eye that I was that like went deeply into me when I looked at him, and I was like, "Kent, are you okay?" He's like, "No, no, I'm not." Um. And I, and I kind of just, I could tell that he didn't want to talk about it then. He wanted to talk about it with all of us present. So the next day we met and, um, again, with the, our, um, intention of, of ending the relationship. Um, and we were all like three kind of like cross-legged sitting in his, in his bed. Um, and he opened up the conversation. He's like, girls, I have something to tell you that I've been dealing with for the last three months. Um, I have terminal brain cancer. Whew. I'm like, just lit up with goosebumps when you said that. I mean, the wave of energy that comes across and that, that's just so... Mm-hmm. Terminal brain cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about um, right around... And, and so reveals to us the source of his behavior. Yeah. And... Um, he just, he re- learned it and right around that time when we had that conversation about our friend coming to town Oof. and he he like woke up one morning completely blind like he couldn't see a thing and he like went into complete panic and had his friend take him to the hospital an MRI CAT scan and boom stage 4 tumor on his brainstem oh my mm-hmm. um, and so he wrestled with what his plan was and he it took him three months before he told anyone he learned about options what he could do treatments and then was um his his ultimate decision was okay i have about a year to live and i'm not going to waste any of that time in any kind of hospital or treatment center i'm not seeking treatment 
I'm going to live the rest of my life to the absolute most extreme extent that I can. And then I'll die. And what age was he at there? He was 28. 28. Mm-hmm. My gosh, <clears throat> I can't even fathom the p- decision-making, like the feeling. I had no wonder is acting out or having a hard time mm-hmm. and just being inside of like trying to go inside my own mind and navigate that kind of news and how do you deal with it i can relate to the decision mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. that I, I mean in my personality mm-hmm. that's the kind of you know strikes a chord with me mm-hmm. i mean like this well let's let's get the most out of it right now while mm-hmm. we can mm-hmm. so yeah yeah, and so in that moment, I like, I just looked him in the eye. I said, Kent, I will be with you until the very last moment of, of your life. And the, the juxtaposition of going into that conversation with the attention of leaving him oh. to the outcome of committing to be with him until the day he died. <laughs> Talk about juxtaposition. That's his, that's his most. You walk in there. I'm leaving you. No, I'm actually staying until you're forever. <laughs> oh my. And and yeah. So like, and Kim and I didn't even have the moment, the time to like make that decision together. Right. That was I you know, outside of the context of my relationship with her, with the relationship I had with him and myself. I made that commitment. How did that affect your relationship with Kim? Um, she was, uh, she, she was like, okay, like I don't really see a, 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 a different path, you know, like this is going to be really bizarre, but let's do it, you know. Throughout all of this, we were, um, this uh, parallel story here, we were building a, a box truck. Like, we, we had bought a box truck, which, by the way, Kent found for us on Craigslist. <laughs> no, cra- <laughs> you keep coming back with the Craigslist story. She just gave you one the other day, too. Yeah. <laughs> they, they persist. Yeah. Craigslist persists. I'm, like, deep within the, the uh, very several layers deep into the Craigslist portal of what's possible. Anyway... We bought this like derpy little thirty-year-old box truck, like uh, like a U-Haul truck, but it it's old and like steel-bodied and seven miles to the gallon and looks like Penske's great grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we were building it, converting it into a house, kind of like a van, van life sort yeah. of dream, but with a box truck instead. Which I can relate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was very helpful because Kim and I were. Uh, not great builders. So having a square, like a box to work with was very helpful. Um, yeah. And so Kim and I were building that together during all of this. Um, and that's why we were moving out. We were moving out of his apartment into our van or our, our truck. Um, and so we start to dream up a, dream, a, a trip together, the three of us, a, like three month snowboarding trip where we all three lived in the box truck and traveled the country together snowboarding. And uh, like two months later, um, he told us that 
that news um, about um, September 2018. And, yeah, so we go on this big, long road trip together. Um, And right away, things start to go very south. (laughs) Um, uh, It was... it was a lot for him to like, he got a sublet for his house or his place. Um, and, uh, so all of a sudden he, the only place for him to live was in this tiny ass box truck, like 12 foot by 12 foot by eight foot. With box, three of you? With three of us. And a dog? No, he left his dog with the roommates. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he did have, he brought his own car. So he had like a different set of wheels and the ability to um, kind of have have space. But yeah, like his, he would have, um, the way his cancer was affecting him is he would just have these insane um, headaches, like debilitating headaches. And, you know, while they were, they would last for a long time and, Afterwards, he would be so exhausted and like stressed, and so his his um behavior was uh, really uh, all over the place. And he would wake up every morning like violently sick, jumping out of the box truck in the middle of the winter, and throwing up outside. Um, oh. You know, he was sick. Yeah. And um, the first place we went to was Aspen. We skied at like Aspen proper, Aspen Highlands, Snowmass Mountain, and um, there was a uh, he was just having these outbursts of like being kind of rude. Um, and I was like, look, man, this is Kim and I's house. Like, this is where we live. This is, you know, like if you, like you can't keep treating us like this. We're about to be on the road for three months. And uh, there's this time where he like kind of disappeared and we found him at a bar and he was like super drunk and trying to drive home or driving to home. Where was home? He's just trying to drive away. (laughs) And uh, because a lot of like really discomfort, a lot of discomfort in the beginning. And we had to really communicate out like, you know, when when you're living that close quarters, you know, you can't just like take time from each other and like, hey, when you're when we're ready to, we'll come back to the this conversation we're like okay we have this shit to deal with and we need to deal with it right now how do we want to be together how do we want to treat each other what do you need what do you need from us what do we need from you and you know things start to start to get they start to improve and, it, and things got really really delightful for a, a good while you went to just about every ski resort between us and um, uh, every ski resort on the either the Epic or Icon Pass um, between us and Whistler up in British Columbia. We had a big trip. Um, and we, he, we were, uh, he had, op- a friend of his had opened up a GoFundMe for him. Um, and so yeah, there was a, uh, that was part of why we were able to like afford this as this was his, what he wanted to do with, um, with that, that gift. Um, then we, we, we got to San Francisco and we went surfing, even though it was March and, and so, so cold, but he was, it was the first time he'd ever been seen the ocean, like the Pacific ocean. Gosh. And so he's like, okay, we're surfing. I don't give a shit if it's cold. Um, saw like the redwood forest, 
And throughout the experience, you know, it was so intense, you know, like we, we were, it's intense to love a dying man. And it's also another layer of intensity to be that which a dying man gets to love, like who he gets to love as he's dying, like that intensity of his love. It's so, the the thing that really like stands strongly in this for me is one of the things I, I often touch on in my conversations with myself and with mm-hmm. others is we usually don't know any scope of whether we have five minutes, five years, 50 years, how long are we going to live for? And it's that definition of like putting a pin in the calendar to say like, I've got like a year and then the clock ticking down Mm -hmm. in a very defined way Mm -hmm. that's providing that perspective, Mm -hmm. right? That changes it because you're sitting with a dying man Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, I'm dying every every minute. I'm getting closer to the end of this journey. And so are you. Mm -hmm. We just don't have any definition if that's going to be in a car wreck as we pull out of here mm-hmm. or if it's going to be 50 years from now mm-hmm. at the end of a typical lifespan mm-hmm. so very yep it's so ironic that we, <laughs> we scope things based mm-hmm. on this unknown period mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and it's one of the things i love about this story and i've been you know so honored to have been shared in this before mm-hmm. take us take us towards the end of the journey how did things progress on mm-hmm. this trip you went traveling all over the place, have feeling life experience while time and health allowed. Mm-hmm. And how do we, mm-hmm. how do things go from there? Yeah. Yeah. That trip was just so intense. Um, Cause everything we were doing was the last time we'd ever do it with him. Oh my gosh. And I could go so deeply into so many layers of that experience, but at the same time, Kim and I needed to nourish ourselves and our own mental health and our own relationship and um, <laughs> this is when we, Kim and I just realized that we have a bit of a different emotional perspective on life. Um, she, I, I'm, I have like a lot of emotional inertia. It takes like a lot to sort of like get my boat moving. But once it's moving, it's like got a lot of momentum. So there's time, like I'm, I, I could sit with the pain and the, his pain and the intensity and the outbursts and I could sit with that and like, it wouldn't just bulldoze my ability to experience myself. Um, but Kim was, Kim's a lot more mm, impressionable, um, and feels a lot more deeply, more quickly. And so we kind of developed this way of interact like there was a lot we needed to refuel ourselves a lot and Kim needed to refuel herself a lot because she was much more quickly depleted of energy um so yeah we we learned a lot about ourselves as well um and so um we get back from this trip and kind of the trip doesn't really stop like we kept going on these beautiful trips when we got back to Colorado we went hiking and basically did everything he wanted to do um, but it, it became, they, they took on a flavor of like, I was physically and emotionally more capable of handling the intent, like the to- thing, things as it got more and more intense because the end of his life was coming closer and closer. Um, and so, um, I'll 
I'll go into this thread just a little bit, just to because I want to hi highlight like the three personness of this. Is there was a time where I was with Kent, um, and I was giving him like a head, neck, scalp massage in his bed, and um, he was just in so much pain, and he was like so and sad sad he he wasn't afraid to die but he was really just freaking bummed that it was happening to him yeah um and kim was like mm. she had just come home from a trip um with her parents i think she was like hey um i don't have it in, in me like i don't feel comfortable like sleeping all three of us together. Like I either need to be by myself or just with you. And now here I have this, I'm in such an, in a torn position, like to be present for him and comfort, you know, in really the only way that I could. Um, because at the time, Kim and I had this agreement that we, we, we were not, we're not allowing ourselves to be sexually intimate with him by ourselves. It was a three-person engagement, which takes all three of us to be on the same page. And if one of us isn't, uh, it doesn't happen. Um, and so that night, though, I I remember distinctly, I was like standing in the middle of the stairs. She just left. She's like, hey, I'm going home, which is our truck. I'm going home. Come if you like, come if you want or stay here. Like she had a little bit of an edge to her voice. She's like, I don't know. she's like, do what you want. I don't care which is like a red flag for your woman to tell you. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, Pay attention. Yeah. And at that, that night I, I was like sitting here, I'm like, okay, I know Kent is dying, but I had like Kim and I were engaged. Um, and like, I have this lifelong commitment. I have a lifelong commitment to both people, but Kim's Kim and I's relationship is going to be here still after He's gone. And so the needing to nurture and tend to what she and I are growing together um, in parallel to our experience with him was a lot to, to do. Um, and so that, that night I decided, I was like, can't, I have to prioritize her right now tonight. And like, I just, I, I share that like layer just to kind of like give light into the three personness and the complexity and the dynamicness of it all. Um, and um, there's, an, there's another layer that I need to go into before I start talking about the end. Um, during, like between when we committed to, to, to being with him committed to the whatever version of being with him until for the rest of his the next year we um we there was a loosening of the um sexual commitment we decided we decided that in that conversation we we're like hey we need to take at least a break like sexually um to like restabilize and before like doing this and so um, during that time, Kim and I had another partner, uh, a singular encounter. Um, and um, 
that we didn't that that boundary wasn't like that boundary was removed we didn't it wasn't like a crossing of the boundary but it was something that we knew he wouldn't be happy about if he knew um and so we decided to not tell him um and it really like there there was like a real period of like two months or so where like we we really while we were preparing for that trip like we were very limited in our engagement with him we were like still building that truck we're very I, I was finishing college like there was a lot of like we we kind of like satellitedly uh separated but and then before reuniting for that trip and so there um but there was a a, a a time Kim and Kim went snowboarding with Kent and he was having this terrible headache on the way back and he said something super hurtful to her. He said, um, he said, if I ever found out that you were with another man, I would probably kill myself. Wow. That's, that's such a terrible threat to make. Yes. I, yeah, and here, so here's an, an an illustration of the emotional difference of, of, of her and I. I mean, she was devastated because we had been with another man. But when I heard her tell me that, I was like, I don't blame him. I got it. Here he is on the death's bed. And she and I are are his outlet of, of love and his... Um, you know, um, I understood. You know, he didn't have very much keeping him here. And his experience here is already so painful um, that if, like, the brightest part of his experience, which was her and I, was became darker... I understood why he didn't. What? What? I understood the place that that comment was coming from. Yeah. Um. But but that that moment really really broke something in Kim, um, and it was it, it broke her ability to be fully emotionally honest with him. Sure. And um, well, being threatened is not a effective means of communication for yeah. strengthening a relationship very yeah very well right. articulated yes yeah. um and uh yeah and i, I want to emphasize like it wasn't like we didn't based on the complex alignment of agreements and boundaries within the three of us like our encounter with him wasn't or sorry our encounter with this other person um didn't it wasn't like a uh, a breaking uh, it wasn't like cheating it yeah. was within the agreement that we'd made all three of us so yeah. which is something i want to clarify because i think for many people who might be listening that might be like what uh challenging to c- grasp yeah but you stated earlier that at the beginning of the relationship mm-hmm. that you weren't looking for a relationship that was dominated by mm-hmm. one other mm-hmm. one man and mm-hmm. it was an open relationship and mm-hmm. You agreed to an undefined period of time, mm-hmm. which came to an end in mm-hmm. your perspective. Yeah. 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 And so, so fast forward. So that conversation kind of happened like early winter 2018. Then we went on that trip in the beginning of 2019. And then now we're back in Boulder at the end of the trip in about April, May time. 
and um, Kent and I started to learn how to paraglide together. Cool. Yeah. Um, checking more boxes. Checking more boxes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I got to learn how to fly. Great. <laughs> um, and um, right around then, he actually, you know, he he went to Kim and he he actually apologized for that comment because he he could tell. He's like Kim. There's something not. There's a disconnect between us, and it's been like that really ever since this year started. Like there's something missing, and I really want to open the space and like invite you to tell me anything you need to tell me and um um and and but she still couldn't bring herself to be honest with our encounter with our other friend um who he knew he wasn't like deeply in friend like they weren't like deep deep friends but he knew him yep um and uh he apologized. He said, Kim, I said something really hurtful to you guys. And I think I was being kind of unreasonable in my expectation that I was going to be the only person in your life. And, um, we've all done that. <laughs> we've all done that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. He said, could, yeah. He said, I'm sorry. You know? Yeah. Um, And so um, we went on one more trip with him. Uh, uh, he had this <laughs> he had this side business of being a masseuse, where most of his clients were strippers. <laughs> <laughs> Just adding another thing to the list. Not only am I a fireman who's extremely good looking, <laughs> and my name is Kent Black, but I'm a masseuse. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of his his clients was a. Uh, a wonderful woman um, who whose husband had, had died um, and she had inherited his estate and like so she um, became a benefactor of his because he was starting to not be able to work very much mm. physically he would sometimes have um, moments where he passed out uh, or had like just uh, uh, micro seizures where he would be, lose his ability to see or like speak um and as an emt in an emergency room mm, it's not great that's really really challenging stuff yeah and he was starting to lose feeling and ability to control one of his arms um and so there came a moment where he was he had a moment at work where he had an episode um and he came home that day and he's like guys i can't work another day like if what happened at work today happened in a moment where I was like actively engaged in someone saving someone's life, that would inhibit my ability to do so. Someone could die because of this right now. And so he decided to not work. Simultaneously, um, he was pursuing, trying to learn about, Colorado is one of the states in this country where um, assisted suicide is legal. Uh, where you're prescribed a medication that just stops your heart. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of red tape around that. I you imagine. Have, you have to outlive your original diagnosis of life expectancy. And he still had six months more to go. He was diagnosed with a year and a half to live, and it was right about the year point. Um, but he, with his combination of not being able to work and the extent of his pain, 
he he didn't have it in him to stay, to simultaneously honor his agreement to himself of not seeking treatment and not being in a hospital environment and also stay alive another six months yeah. with the pain he was in. And so we went on another trip, um, this time back to California, another surfing trip. <laughs> we, the three of us are really bad surfers. <laughs> <We're not good. laughs> I, I love you surfing with you sometimes. Yeah. So we can all be on par. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, we're all, we're just, we're all like athletic enough to like give it a really thorough try and have like intermittent moments of success that are motivating enough for us to keep getting like beaten up about it. Um, so we went on another surfing trip and this time we went to Big Sur. Um, and we had a wonderful time, just a wonderful time. Really, it was amazing, that trip. Um, he, we, uh, thanks to this woman who we never, she, we never knew. We never, she, she just, she really intentionally wanted to be mm, secret. Um, like she didn't want her parents to know. She didn't want to be thanked by She's, yeah, she was extremely benevolent. Um, and um, she um, funded his ability to um, donate his sperm. And so we, <laughs> we drop Kent off in the middle of downtown San Francisco, the sperm bank of California. And he's all like giddy. He like dressed up for it. <laughs> he's well, like, yeah. I've got a date with myself. I'm going to the bank <laughs> to make a deposit. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we drop him off and, um, he's able to, you can get paid as a man to donate sperm if you just donate it with like here have it and now some they that institution can like give it to someone else but if you're donating it with the intention of keeping it for someone specific it's a lot more expensive yeah. and um so he he's able to deposit uh, two samples um which in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot when you're attempting something like this and in vitro fertilization you, you typically need several tries um, and so, but yeah, he, one of his deepest, 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 deepest sorrows was that he didn't get to be a father. Huh. I, there was one moment, um, flashback into the, our trip with him. We were at, um, um, Heavenly Resort in Tahoe. Um, stunning time, like 80 inch snowstorm. We were skiing the most incredible conditions I've ever skied. It was amazing. And I, we were going into this cabin to wait for for Kim to rendezvous with us and get some food. And I turn around um, and I see Kent. Kent, Kent, when he snowboarded, wore, wore this like big onesie, this American flag onesie, like Captain America <laughs> kind of thing. He's Fantastic. Such a character. Um, and I turn around and I see him like on his knees, hugging a small child who like came up to him like, is he like there's onesie? And like, and just completely collapse into body shaking tears oh knowing that that was never going to be knowing that he was never going to have it be a father Ugh. like father a child specifically yeah um and i like go to him and i just sit down with him and hold him in the middle <laughs> in the middle of like the base area where there's a lift and a cat a sh sh uh, restaurant like it was people were skiing avoiding us and i was just like holding him isn't it amazing how life 
doesn't stop for what's going on around us or where we are. Like we, our emotions like just kick in no matter what time and place we're at. And that's when it's coming up and that's where we're dealing with it. Mm -hmm. That's the thing about being human, you know, we don't really get the choice. This is the whole ride Mm -hmm. is that it's thrust upon us. These emotional waves just Mm -hmm. crest and break. And all of a sudden there we are in the washing machine of mother ocean and Mm -hmm. emotion and Mm -hmm. just being carried by that. And off we go on that experience. And it's so beautiful that you could recognize that that was happening for him and help Mm -hmm. shoulder some of that a little bit. Mm -hmm. At least empathize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, okay, back to the sperm bank. Um, <laughs> um, the story just keeps getting better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was, that was a precious moment. Um, and shortly later, later that day, um, he takes, like, we're back at our, our, uh, it was on that, Drive. We, were dro- we drove from like uh, M- Monterey area up to San Francisco, which is a few hours. And during that drive, <sighs> he decides to la- drop on us that the the big uh, the big thing that um, girls um, the morning the sunrise of the morning of July fifth is going to be my last day here. What? When was this? This was the end of June. Oh, so you're talking about a short time then, mm-hmm. like a week. Mm-hmm. And basically, I just told us, he's like, hey, guys, um, I'm going to, like, I've got a week. Oof. So he's like, just, that's, I just need you guys to know that. He picked a day? Picked a day. And I knew, I knew he was going to take his own life. Um, he and I had talked about it several times. Throughout the trip, I've been I'd been helping him mm, brainstorm, mm. and because I knew I the combination of his his decision to not seek treatment and not be in a hospital, he wasn't just gonna rot away on some ventilator until like his kidneys failed. Mm. Um. And uh, uh, so we, Kim and I call some people, some of his close friends um, back in Boulder. We call his parents. We, all, all people that we knew knowing that wouldn't disrespectfully impose upon him by calling him and telling him not to do it. Yeah. Right? Um, so you're trying to protect his boundaries to make his own choice about how to live out the remaining days of his life based on condition. Right. But we also wanted to extend that gift of knowing the day to some key people in his life so that they could connect with him as deeply as possible before he died. And did you talk with him about that before doing so? Um, no. Do you think that his sharing with you was some way of reaching out and asking to like, can you help with this? Was there any clarity around it? No. How, he, how did that whole thing he go? He kind of, he told us that he had everything taken care of. Like he had a plan. Yeah. 
um, and that he didn't want to, he didn't want us to like, he didn't want to hurt us in any way by having us be involved. Um, and so, um, so we, we organized with a, a few, like a group of about maybe like 10, 12 people to all meet that morning for sunrise at Red Rocks Amphitheater, which was his favorite place in the world. So much of him was expressed in that space dancing. Um, it's kind of like where our love story started. Yeah. And um, so we would all meet there and stand vigil for him through the sunrise of July 5th. And so July 3rd, um, he and I go on this trip to Rocky Mountain National Park, just him, me, and Ayla, his dog. Um, his dog, who's who's was his service animal for PTSD, um, and also a search and rescue, like uh, area search dog, uh, with like three live rescues they they did together. He and Ayla. Wow. Yeah, super profound being that dog, um, and so we um, decide to dose ourselves with a psychedelic substance, and. Um, explore the valley. Do you mind if I ask which one? LSD. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we took a pretty healthy dose. Isla just turned and looked over at us <laughs> with the most knowingest look. Yeah. She'd been laying there just, she just picked up her head, looked square at us and just looked right. <laughs> She's like, I know this story. <laughs> I remember this day. Yeah. Yeah. So we took a pretty, pretty healthy dose. Um, and um, we came to this point where we had to cross this small river. We didn't have to. We just decided that we needed to. Um, and it was about the, like, the width of like, a single lane road. Sure. And there was no white caps, no, didn't, wasn't very imposing looking. It looked just like a stream, like one of those snaky, windy rivers at the bottom of a valley with like mountains all around it. Stunning place. Um, and... I kind of just like wade through and like swim across with not really any problem. Um, but when I got to the bank, I like put my arms on the ground on, on the bank and started to like try and pull, push myself up like you do out of like a swimming pool. But my whole body, not my whole body, but like, like maybe uh, belly button below got sucked under the ground because the river had carved out undercut undercut yeah yeah so i was like holding on but my my legs were like sucked up under the the dirt uh, under the bank and i was like whoa okay this is really awkward but there's some bushes so i was able to pull myself out and um that was just an indicator of the power of this tiny river <laughs> so i turned around and because i had i had like I didn't have the chance because I was dealing with getting out of the river. Um, I didn't have the chance to warn Kent. And I turn around and he's halfway through with Ayla on his shoulders. Oh boy. Walking. Um, and right as soon as I turned around and saw that, they both went like under. They both just <laughs> <laughs> disappeared under the water because <laughs> it went from being like shallow to about six or seven feet deep and or more. I don't know. Um, and but again, like it wasn't moving very fast. It was so bizarre. Like, so I could see like where he went down. I had enough time to where they went down and how fast the river was going. I could, t 
tell about where they might be underwater. And I just blindly like reached into the water and Ayla's scruff, I grabbed Ayla's scruff and I hauled her out by her neck, neck fur. Um, and onto land and, and then all of that happened with before he resurfaced and he was like wild-eyed and panic he's like where is she and I've got her and I was like I've got her she's here she's good and he um uh, uh so he gets out so that that moment I'll, I'll I'll refer to later but that moment um was in my conceptualization of uh the moment of transference from of Ayla from him to her to me. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, because since like we've we've inherited Ayla, she's been our dog for about two years now, and since she has completely transferred all of her training, her attention, her service, um, to me, I am the center of her attention, um, deeply imprinted on me. And, um, so that was, that was a really impactful moment. And the, yeah, crossing the river on the way back, I lost my pants and it was, it's just a whole, that river was a big deal. <laughs> it's surprising how those little ones can just sneak up on yeah. you. I've had the same thing where I thought I was about to wade across a small river with hands full of things. And the next thing I know I'm underwater over, over my head, can't touch the bottom, like floating downstream. Yeah. Oh my. Uh-huh. Um, so this is two days before, before he dies. His, his end date. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that trip on our way back, um, I, just, we were sitting down like eating a snack, um, before we got back to our car to drive home. Um, and I look over to him and I was like, dude, what's your plan? Like, I can't just like, what am I supposed to do tomorrow? Just like say goodbye and watch you like drive away with those like big mystery of what the fuck happened like where you went and what you did like, I need to know and um, he said he had a friend of his who had become um, in the time he'd known her who had become a lover of his um, which was something that Kim and I were really really supportive of um, she worked with him she was a nurse um, she agreed to drive him to Colorado Rocky Colorado National Monument which is about is right outside of Grand Junction Colorado beautiful beautiful cliff formation um and his plan was to jump jump off a cliff um and I just sat with that formation for a minute and um I just looked at him and I was like I need to come I made it. I made a commitment to you, to be with you, be there for you until the last moment. Can I? Can I come? It's, you're, you're, I mean, the whole premise of this show is just like resonating so strongly with mm -hmm. the concept of walking each other home. It's mm -hmm. literally you're literally like I'm just going to walk you right to the very edge and mm -hmm. be there with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the next morning, um, uh, oh, uh, 
one last thing about that day, the third. Kim, while well, Kent and I were together that day, Kim was off with her friend Adam, who's her a guitar muse. He's such a talented musician. And that day, they created a song together. He helped her um, musically put together a piece to something she'd written. And she so, so they she wrote a song for him, for Kent. Um for him to listen to before he died. And uh, that morning, the next morning, the morning of the 4th, <laughs> I, I did ask him, I was like, why July 5th? And he's like, I'm just too much of an American to die on the 4th. <laughs> <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> uh, so the July 4th, we, um, we wake up together, all three of us through the night together that night. Um, and I go get our favorite burritos and we get back and Kim shares with us that song and he's laying down and we're collectively holding him while we are listening to that song. And the song is called Journey On. Um, um, I invite you to, um, like link it somehow. Okay. To, yeah. to this. We'll put um, it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because listening to it so beautifully articulates the send-off that we were sending him off. Incredible. Um, and his friend from work comes um, that morning. And so, uh, so I watch him say goodbye to Kim and say goodbye to his, his dog who he had for five years, his service animal. Who'd, this dog, I have to, another tangent here, this dog saved his life twice from suicide before we ever met him. Wow. Back when he was um, in, the, in the fire service, he was exposed to just some deeply traumatic, absolutely terrible situations. Oh, I can't imagine. And he had this, God, he had this piece of shit fiance who was deeply evil to him emotionally. So there was, there was twice, he, he was like letter written, gun in his hand about to kill himself. Oh boy. And Ayla twice put his, her head on his lap and stopped him. Yeah. All before, we never would have met him before without Ayla. And it was Ayla that we were attracted to the most on his Craigslist ad. Like Ayla, this being, Ayla, my eternal friend, Ayla, is brought Kent to our lives, into our lives. Who's walking who? Who's walking who? <laughs> 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 yeah. So oh, I, I watched him say goodbye to her. Um, and then uh, me, his friend, and him, we all leave from Boulder to drive the four and a half, five hours to to uh, Colorado National Monument. Um, and on the way, he um, on the way, like almost the entire time, the entire five hours or so, he was on the phone calling everyone he loved. And here's the the divine beauty of this whole situation because he was he told everybody his situation. He was like, look, guys, I'm dying. I have about a year to live. 
be with me now, be here now, spend time with me now. And so all of his community, we all knew and we all, we had several gatherings in his honor, but with him celebrating his life before he died, um, you know, he, Every time he connected with someone, just hanging out, spending time at a park, a picnic, like eating together, like concerts. He was so deeply grounded. Every time he was with someone, they knew. My friend's going to die soon. And so when he was calling everyone, you know, like, hey, guys, this is the time. My time has come. Everyone knew. Everyone was prepared. And so everyone was able to really lovingly and respectfully say goodbye, say, hey, thank you. I love you. I'll see you soon. Wow. He called my parents, Kim's parents. My parents knew about him. Her parents didn't. They had, yeah, anyway. Um, he called my 12-year-old little sister. Um, I listened to him say goodbye to his mother. And wow. all all of his friends, you know. Um, and it was like, <laughs> I was like in the back seat. Um, just like tear, endless tears. Like I wasn't crying, like sobbing. My tear, my eyes were just leaking. They wouldn't stop leaking. <laughs> and so I was just listening to him while his, his friend drove, it was his car. Um... And uh, just listening to him say goodbye to everyone he loved. It was so profound. It's such a gift to be, to have someone you love so dearly, know, like to, to know they're going to die and be able to love and live with them fully before they do. So he's not, he didn't like, he wasn't stolen from us. He wasn't, he didn't like get in a tragic car accident and was like tragically gone before we were able to like, you know, it, it was such a beautiful moment. The lesson that I'm hearing in here is we never know when mm -hmm. anybody's going to leave. Yeah, this is true. So the lesson is we have to constantly live that way. Yes. We need to live like the person that mm -hmm. we're sitting with, that, that may be the last time that we're going to see them and to truly be present with mm -hmm. them and to truly be honest with them mm -hmm. and to share with them and be mm -hmm. all the things that we want to be mm -hmm. because we don't know that there's going to be another opportunity that can very well be the last moment that we're going to sit together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this whole experience, Kent was such a guide for me spiritually because this is how I learned how to love, really. Yeah. He taught, because this is, and for all the people in my life since him, I've had this lesson, you know, love this person like they're dying. Beautiful. Um, you know, I, I take very seriously, like, my goodbyes. <sighs> Me too. The compliments I give people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we uh, it's such a a bizarre drive. Like we we stopped and had lunch. He wanted he wanted to have a burger and play one more game of pool. He was a wicked pool player. God, he whipped my ass every time. And I'm not that bad. <laughs> um, but we like we're so out of it. We like left the restaurant without paying for a meal. We just like weren't really connected with reality. Sure. 
Um, it must be a surreal experience. It's very surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we, so we go, we get to the, the monument um, uh, about 3 p.m. or so, and um, we walk to this place where, and I was familiar with it. He and I had been there about two months earlier on one of our trips. Um, and he and I had like spun, he's a, he's, he spins staff really, really well. And fire staff? Fi- fire staff, but also like the uh, martial arts, like huh. one where it's super fast. And he and I went there and we like both spun our respective tools and we're just having a wonderful afternoon. And little did I know that spot we were at, he decided this is the spot. Yeah. Um, And so I get there, I'm like, I've seen this place before. I know where we're going. And, um, we walk up and, you know, we had to hop a, hop a, uh, like protective fence to get out to the, um, actual edge. And, you know, he's like, Kylie, this is it. This is the spot. What do you think? And I like looked over and it's about a 300 foot cliff or so. Um, and I looked back at him. I was like, and I, well, I looked down and I looked up and I looked around the view and I looked back at him and I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> you are so brave. <sighs> and so we sit there. Um, we all like journal. The three of us. We get our journal out. And, um, oh, do I have that? Oh, I don't have it with me. Fuck. If I had it with with me, I would read the last page. Maybe the last two pages. It's really profound. Well, maybe we can get an outtake. Okay. Yeah, okay. That'd be great. Yeah. 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 Um, he was so at peace. He was so ready to stop suffering. Um. Again, he wasn't afraid to die. He was just sad. Yeah sad that he had to die and uh and so we he he like pops his head up from journaling and he's like girls i need a margarita (laughs) (laughs) i need one too actually right now (laughs) um so we drive back into town and at this restaurant and um you know, one of those kind of like average Mexican restaurants, and but they have this giant, big, huge cauldron of a margarita, and um, so we all get margaritas. And he's like, ah. and I'm pretty sure I watched him spend his last ten dollars. He he didn't save a damn dime. Good for him. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So then we drive back and we get there for sunset and we all just silently watch the sunset together, holding him. And it comes time. So Kim and I had arranged, remember, that group of people to meet at Red Rocks. Yeah. Um, And Kim had stayed back to rally that group and be there with that group. They they all, like, the group of them kind of all stayed the night together that night. And then we're ready to leave the next morning. Um, And... Um, so about one in the morning, cause we're five hours away from Red Rocks about one in the morning. Uh, and Kent knew, Kent knew about that happening. Yeah. 
Um, about one in the morning, he looks at me, he's like, Kylie, it's time for you to go be with Kim and our friends. And so, uh, and, and he, he wanted to be, um, he wanted to sit with himself for the moment that he, he jumped. He didn't want, he, didn't, he genuinely didn't want anyone to be there. And I thought that that was really reasonable. Yeah. Um, and so I sat, I sat on a, on a rock or I, like, I laid down on a rock while um, his friend uh, went and said her goodbyes. And I just remember looking up at the stars as a crisp blue, uh, not blue, crisp cloudless night. Um, and I could see the Milky Way. And I just look up and I'm like, it's huge, like, release happened to me of, I realized, I'm like, holy shit, I did it. <laughs> I committed, I, I followed through, I completed my commitment. I did it. I was with him until the very, very, very end. And I was like, holy shit, I'm about to say goodbye. Like, for real. And so when um, his friend came back, um, it was my turn. I like, I kind of like tackle him to the ground and like this kiss hug thing. <laughs> um, and we, I didn't, we just have this such a beautiful, beautiful goodbye. And where I told him, um, like, Kent, you're forever physically and emotionally quantumly entangled with me in my experience on, on this planet for the rest of my life. I will love you eternally. And you, and you are invited to be with me always. Um, that is an absolutely beautiful expression, statement. And I said, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for the privilege of loving you in the way that I was able to love you and for loving me in the way that you loved me. Thank you. So... Gosh, like tearing myself away from that, I was like so, so hard. But he was, he helped me. He was like, you've got to go be with Kim. Kim needs you, our friends need you. And I need to be by myself. You've, thank you for everything. Um, and uh, um, so it was obviously one o'clock in the morning, it was super dark. Um, and so we have about a half mile hike back to the car. And um, we're about two thirds of the way there. And he, um, out of the darkness below us, we hear this like shout of, thank you. I love you. And then he said, he said this thing that he always said, like, this is what he would say, like, when, when he like started snowboarding, like he would drop into a bowl, like he, would, he yelled, fuck it up. <laughs> and each time he said something, we mirrored it back to him. So we yelled back, thank you. I love you. And then we were just, God, with so much oomph, yelled back, fuck it up. 
Because that, I, I asked him, I was like, what do you want to be remembered by? Like, what do you want people to think about their lives? And he said, there's two things, or three things. He said, experience and express yourself and fuck it up. Like, just, that's the essence of how he lived his life. Unapologetically. Um, just pure passion. And so then we, we get in our car and we drive away. How hard. <clears throat> well, Having the goal of getting back to Red Rocks by four sun, sunrise yeah. was um, the only way. Yeah. You had to have really. something that was going to take you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that I went, that she and I went together because we were so emotionally and physically exhausted. We had a five hour drive in the middle of the night. We oh. didn't have any sleep. And so we were so tired. We were able to like switch like every 30 minutes for one of us to sleep and the other to drive. And I actually ended up getting a fucking speeding ticket. <laughs> Thanks universe. I was like, thank, going, you. thank you for that one yeah, moment when yeah. I'm like in the most pressed emotional <laughs> situation that I could possibly be in. And I need to get a speedy ticket right now. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You're so funny universe. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was so unfazed. I was just like, the cop came up to the window. I was like, can you please get this over as fast as possible? My friend is dying and I need to get somewhere very quickly. And he still, he, I was, I mean, I was going like 97 miles an hour in a 55. Um, and so I had a court date and it was a big deal. <laughs> and um, yeah, he, he like wrote in the notes on that ticket that like my friend was dying. And when I later, when I like got went to court to pay that ticket, the judge had the fucking audacity to ask me, "How's your friend?" And I just looked him in the eye and I said, "Yeah, he died." <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So back to the back to the story. Back to we get to Red Rocks. We get to Red Rocks at the nick of time. Um, the sun was like cresting, and we were actually Kent had signals. We were actually able to call him and like text him and leave a message. Like all of his closest friends, Oof. we were all like collectively made a voice message of like, "Hey, buddy, so proud of you. We love you, and we'll see you soon." And he's like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Um, and so 6 a.m. on the dot was his plan. of He would play Kim's song that she wrote, the Journey On song. And at the same moment, Adam, the guy who um, helped her write that song, was there at Red Rocks with us. So same moment, she was performing that song at Red Rocks. And he was listening to it, the recording. And um, that's the last thing he heard. There's a, um, the very last line of that song is, journey on, lost boy, journey on into the dawn. And so that's the moment that he jumped. Um, and I just remember, I guess when Kim sang that line, I just, again, like, just pure, like, absolute tremors through my body 
of release of, holy shit, we did it. Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so, gosh, so 
that whole group of people, we like stayed together, most of us for the rest of the day, because I had to call search and rescue and vaguely, slightly lie about how I knew why he was there and why I knew where he should, they should look for him without telling him that I took him there. Yeah. Right. Cause I was scared. Sure. Of getting in trouble. Um, and so it took them, oh God, there apparently are two places in that monument with the same name. And they went to the other one first and took hours to get to the set. So there was this, such a terribly painful time where we didn't know where he was. And we like tried to call him and there was a time where the call went through. And so we were like having so much doubt, like, oh my God, did he change his mind? Is he there like losing his shit by himself? Uh, but eventually we got we got the call that they had found him. Um, and we were at his house or in his room waiting. Um, and we walk out of his house and out of the sky, out of the sunny summer sky falls gumdrop size hail with a rainbow coming out of his, the roof of his house out into the mountains. <laughs> it's always the way. Oh my and, gosh. and so we were like, and so finally the pain was like transmuted with like peace or like, okay, he's been found. He's, he's good. Like, yeah. um, we, there, the, the, the search and rescue, the woman in search and rescue who like sat vigil over his body, um, while every, like after they found him, she stayed with him until they got more people on scene to haul him up. Um, she reached his, her hand through the body bag and touched his knee and had this, um, she, she like later, she found us on Instagram and like reached out and needed to tell us this. And, um, uh, this explosion of orange, beautiful, warm light erupted through her body and out of her body. And she, she m made a painting about it. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. and, and guess what she fucking called this painting? Guess what she called it? Journey on. What? Then <laughs> <laughs> like the same name as the song. Wow. That wow. he that he died listening to. Wow. <laughs> How beautiful. Um, we've since gone back to that spot and rigged a 170 meter high line from the spot that he jumped from. And we invited the whole search and rescue group that was involved in his recovery to experience that place in a new light of creativity and, and inspiration. And I walked this line, this high line from the other direction. So I got to walk back on out of the space he fell through, back onto the place he jumped from. And I, I did. I, I don't ever do this highlighting. Like you can walk off. Like it's it's kind of dangerous and it's something I don't like to do because if you fuck up, you like hit the hit the rock. And um, but I decided then to like walk off. So like from the one inch webbing onto the place he jumped from, the last place his feet touched, and I just like completely collapsed into just sobbingly joyful tears. 
How beautiful. Yeah. I I am in, truly in awe of of your character and how you approach things with such maturity and such beauty. It's really such a huge pleasure to have you here and for you to share this mm -hmm. journey. Thank you. Thank for, you. Thank you so much. I love you so much. I love you so much, Jamie. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> You're a wonderful human. Thank you so much. Um, I think I would like to pause things right there. Okay. I'd like to, first of all, say again, just so much gratitude for sharing this. And I would like to ask if people can reach out to you through for mm -hmm. your life coaching. And if you mm -hmm. want to talk to, talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk about my life coaching now? Well, if, if there's, you tell us what you're doing, uh, just summarize quickly and then maybe some contact info. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so my coaching business is ha, 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 called Journey on Coaching. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, it focuses on relationships, yeah. um, specifically um, family dynamics and romantic partnerships, both all the flavors of romantic partnerships, um, monogamy, polyamory, non-traditional relationship structures, um, I have such a capacity to understand so much and to hold space for so much from this perspective, from this experience. And and you're doing this uh, business with your mother, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, together, like, we're, like, tag-teaming. She's got the depth and breadth of the family coaching, and then I've got the depth and breadth of the this kind of relationship coaching. And so, yeah, that's... So the website is called Journey on Coaching, and you can reach me at Kylie at Journey on coaching.com fantastic yeah um yeah and I'm, I'm writing a, i'm writing a book about this whole experience and excellent getting a I'm, I'm toying with either writing it myself or getting a ghostwriter to help me and but at the, the the beginning i'll share with you the beginning of the book the prologue is um the book's going to be called journey on <laughs> um is me at that spot that he jumped from, pilot shoot in hand, opening it as a bass jump. That's the beginning of the book. So this is why you're aspiring to learn bass jump right now. This is why I'm aspiring to learn bass jump right now. And why I'm going to help you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, need a, I'll need some mentorship for that exit, though. It's definitely a, a, a positive big boy exit. So can you repeat your address for me? Kylie at Journey On? Uh, Kylie at... Um, journeyon-coaching.com and the website uh, journeyon-coaching.com journeyon-coaching.com great mm -hmm. Kylie mm -hmm. it's been absolutely fantastic what a story I mean what a crazy journey life just never know what's coming mm -hmm. we do know it's going to end though mm -hmm. we, that's well, the only thing we know is that it's going to end we don't know what's coming in between mm -hmm. but let's keep uh, loving each other yeah. and uh, learning from each other and laughing and yeah. all the key things Yeah, and to just experience and express yourself fuck it up fuck it up let's fuck it up fuck it up yeah dude thank you so much yeah, <laughs> yeah let's go fuck it up <laughs> mm -hmm. Thanks so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Wow, what an incredible story from Kylie today. I'm just completely, the number of times through that episode that I got goosebumps listening to her expression of that journey 
and how it continues to carry on for so many people. It's so powerful. If you would like to support the show, you can donate on Patreon. You can find our Patreon by clicking on our website at trustthejourney.today. You can donate at any amount, and that will help support the program. Uh, It'll also get you into our Trust the Journey family, which is a wonderful group of humans who all curate a safe space together to be able to share and care and put anything you want into that space, as long as it's really you. And I want to thank everybody for being an audience and for participating in, in this show. It really does mean so much. Thank you, but from Melanie and I both, it really does mean a lot. So thank you once again, and look forward to hearing from you next time. Walking each other home. <laughs>